Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Good morning, everyone. Well, it really clears out after the kids are gone, doesn't it? I'm looking out and I can see all the empty seats. Well, this week we're going to um, be in Romans chapter 15. This week and next week we should finish this book up, and then we will look at some other ideas for lessons. But we will finish chapter 15, and next week we will kind of go over some of the main lessons that we've learned from Romans, kind of a review, and just touch briefly on chapter 16. So two weeks ago we looked at verses 8 to 16. And of Romans chapter 15, Paul dealt with mature Gentile Christians, and he told them to be gentle with new Christians coming into the church. He was telling them to take into consideration that those who are coming into the church don't have the same level of knowledge that they do. And so their faith is going to be weak, so they need to be careful. And so instruct them by the word of God with all gentleness and compassion. So then he reminds them of the gospel that they heard and they obeyed. And that is the same gospel these new converts had also heard and obeyed. So he's trying to get the point across to them, look, you have to be careful. You were there where they are now. Remember that. Remember where you used to be. Think of that and take care of these new Christians. Be careful how you treat them. And so we see in verse 16 that, Paul was a minister to the Gentiles, proclaiming the gospel so that they would be an acceptable offering to God. Can you imagine, here's Paul, who considered himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he's a minister to the Gentiles. And he thought of himself as such a Hebrew. You think of what Hebrews were like. They would not associate with Gentiles. They would not allow Gentiles to come into their home for fear of being defiled. And imagine, here he is, having to minister to the Gentiles. He probably never, ever imagined he would be doing this. But that's his role. That's what he was called to do. So we asked the question a few weeks ago, how and when do we become, we become, an acceptable offering to God, just like the Gentiles had become? And we responded with, when we respond to the gospel. When we respond to the gospel, that's when we become an acceptable offering to God. It is what pleases God. It is what makes us acceptable. So when we respond to the gospel, we're set apart from the world, and we are made holy to be used for God's good purposes. So now we come to verse 17, where we see this play out from 17 to 33, where Paul is used For God's good purposes. And we're going to look at those verses. Let's start with verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. The Apostle Paul said. Well what he said was closely connected to what he had already said. The previous two verses. Let's back up and read those two verses as we get some context. 
I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul talked about his work, his work with the Gentiles. Now in verse 17 he says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. He glories in Christ Jesus in his service to God. But what does that mean? If I were to ask you what that means, what would you say? I glory in Christ Jesus. Well, the Greek word translated as glory means praising, rejoicing, boasting. So the Apostle Paul rejoiced in Christ Jesus for his service to God. He rejoiced. He boasted. He boasted in Christ Jesus for what the Lord had accomplished and was accomplishing through his service. Is that the kind of attitude that we take when we have the opportunity to serve? Do we glory in Christ Jesus? Do we boast? Do we praise God for the opportunity to serve? And he wasn't boasting about his own work. Paul found so much joy in working for the Lord, and we can see that when we go to verse 18. Take a look. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God but by what I have said and done. So you notice he says at the very start of that verse, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me, what Christ has accomplished. He doesn't take credit for anything that he has done. Yet by this time, he has brought many to Christ, many Gentiles, but he doesn't take credit for it. Paul boasted about what Christ did through him. He spoke about his work, but he gives credit to God. He said, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. What was he talking about there? Well, what he said was referring to the gospel which he preached and the many words that he used to bring them to God. And what he had done refers to the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he did, that God did through him. And we can see that from verse 19 when we go to read that. These things God had done through him to convince the Gentiles that the good news was really from God. It's not from Paul. It's not from Peter. It's not from me. It's not from you. It's from God. Paul said Christ accomplished all these things through him. The end result was Gentiles becoming an offering acceptable to God. Take a look at verse 19 now. By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul gives us an idea of the area where he preached the gospel. And I tried to look for a decent map to put up there to give us an idea. But let me put it this way. Think of modern-day Israel, where it is on the map. You think of where Israel is and go up and around, go through Turkey, go through Greece, go northern part of Greece, close to the top of Italy. That's where Paul reached all that area, all that area. And that's what he's talking about here. And that would have been a lot of traveling back then, believe me. Especially by foot. Think about it. There's no car. There's no plane. There's none of the things that we have today. To have to do that by foot would have been a lot of traveling. He covered a lot of ground. And why would that matter? Take a look. Verses 20 to 22. 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where, where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. You see, Paul wanted to bring the gospel to where it had not been preached. He wanted to bring the gospel somewhere in which someone else had not been, had already not started that work, had not already started preaching the gospel. And so, Rome was where his heart was. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach there. I like what one commentator by the name of Don Shackelford said, and this is what he says. He says, in in his concluding remarks, Paul feels constrained again to give his rationale for boldly writing to a church he did not establish. His usual practice was never to build on the work of others, but to seek new places in planting churches. Evidently, Paul thought it was permissible to work in Rome maybe because he did not consider the church there to have an apostolic foundation. That is, since no other apostle had founded it, it was considered open territory. So Paul made it clear that he had already covered this entire area that he talked about, Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he hadn't been to Rome. And he said that he had often been hindered from coming to them in Rome. The Greek word translated as hindered means detained. He had always been detained from coming to Rome. He always wanted to visit them, but he was too busy preaching the gospel in this area that he talked about. That's why he never made it over there. The Lord kept him busy with the work. He was serving. He was faithfully serving. And so, verses 23 to 24 now. 23 and 24. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And so he says, I'm done in this area. I'm not detained anymore. I want to come and see you. I plan to come and see you. And so he had preached the gospel in that that region. Now he wanted to be able to share the gospel in Rome, even though it had already been preached, just to go there to encourage the brothers to preach the gospel to give them some apostolic foundation, to say that there was an apostle that had been there and had spoken to them. So Paul longed to visit this church, which he had never met. We read this letter, and Paul had never met these people yet. He plans to. He plans to go there, but he hasn't met them yet. So he hoped that he would be able to help them, and he hoped that they would be able to help him on his journey. He talked about going to Spain. He hopes to stop there. He hopes that they will help him, that they will stock him back up with food or whatever he requires to make the journey. And he also said that he wanted to enjoy their company, but he had something else he had to do first, as we're going to see in verses 25 to 27. Take a look. He says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. And they owe it to them. So Paul wanted to see the saints in Rome, but first, he had to take care of this. He had to deliver this collection. This collection that he received from the saints of Macedonia and Achaia, he had to go to Jerusalem and drop off that money. He had to drop off what he had collected. The saints in Jerusalem consisted primarily of Jewish converts. So think about it. These are Gentiles that are contributing to help the Jews in Jerusalem. 
And so they were pleased to give of their means. They were happy to be able to help. And Paul said, indeed, they owe it to the Jews. Well, why would Paul say that they owe that to the Jews? Does that make any sense? Let me read another translation. Maybe that'll help. The contemporary English version says this. This is something they really wanted to do, but sharing their money with the Jews was also like paying back a debt because the Jews had already shared their spiritual blessings with the Gentiles. Paul was saying, and I am paraphrasing here, in a sense, you owe it to the Jews since salvation came to them for you. Salvation came to you from the Jews, so in a sense, you owe it to them to help them out now. That's what Paul is saying. So now take a look at verses 28 to 33. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to, to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy, and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So Paul was saying that when he finally is able to come and see them, it will be with Christ's blessing. It will be on God's timing, not on his. Think about it. If it was on his timing, he would have already been there. But it wasn't. So isn't it interesting that Paul asks for prayers from these brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't this the great apostle Paul? Doesn't he have all kinds of power? Why would he need someone else's prayers? And he said, join me in my struggle. Well, the apostles were not all powerful. They were not superhuman. They were simply men who served God, and God was able to work miracles through them. It wasn't by their own power. It was the power of God. And so they were human beings who had struggles just like we do. Here's Paul asking for help, asking for prayers. They had worries and fears just as we do. And though God is with us always, it helps to encourage us when we know that someone else is praying for us, right? When we know someone is praying for us, doesn't that encourage you? Even though you know God is there, even though you know you can turn to God in prayer, having someone else pray for you is encouraging. So Paul told us what his struggle was in verse 31. Many Jews who rejected Paul and Christ would not leave Paul alone. You might remember when you go through the book of Acts how this group of Jews kept following Paul everywhere he went and gave him a hard time. And so they followed him and they made his work difficult. Well, Paul wanted these Roman Christians to pray for him so that God would hear their prayers and send Paul to them so that he could meet them, so that he could be encouraged by them. So I titled this lesson, Share the Work. The Apostle Paul was a hard worker in the Lord, but he understood the importance of getting others involved to help out with the work. He understood the importance of his role as an apostle and the work that the Lord had prepared in advance for him to do. But do we understand our role and the work that the Lord has prepared for us? Do you understand your role? Do you understand what God has asked you to do? What types of work did we see in our text today in which we could share? What did we see in that text? Did we see nothing at all, or was there something there? Well, 
I have four points. Take a look at these four things. What types of work did we see in our text? We saw sharing in the work of spreading the gospel. Paul was not the only one preaching the good news to others. Here's a church he had never been to. He didn't establish it. Somebody else did the preaching of the gospel. The work was shared. Someone else was doing it. Whoever that person was or persons were, they and Paul shared the work in spreading the gospel throughout the land. And we need to be busy sharing the gospel as well. We shouldn't think that the task is only for church leaders and those who had some kind of training. It doesn't work that way. If you have obeyed the gospel, then you are able to share it with others. Whether you feel confident enough or not, you are able to do it. What did you understand the gospel to be? What did you understand about Jesus when the gospel is preached to you? Why did you respond to the gospel? Share these things with others. It's not complicated. Point number two, we saw sharing in the work of giving money or material possessions. It was important to see that there were no needy people in the Lord's church. You see that Paul was bringing this offering to Jerusalem to help the saints there from others. So the sharing in the work of giving money, it was important for us, important for them, it's important for us to do this. As Christians, it is our duty to help if and when we can. We are obligated to give of our financial blessings to the Lord, and we do that when we give our offering on Sunday morning. But not just our offering, whatever we can. We're to help if we can. Third point, we saw a sharing in the work of praying for one another. Talked about Paul. Paul asked for prayers on his behalf. He asked them to join him. Notice the wording. To join him in his struggle by praying to God for him. We need to take up the task of praying for each other. By praying for one another, we are actually sharing in each other's struggles. When you know what your brother is dealing with and you're praying for him, you share with your brother. You share with your sister. You get to know each other even that much better. And you know how to be able to minister and serve. And so... By praying for one another, we are sharing in each other's struggles. We're sharing in each other's sorrow. We're sharing in each other's happiness, each other's joy, and a whole lot more. Praying for one another, whether you realize it or not, allows us to grow closer to one another. And finally, the fourth point. We saw sharing in the work of encouraging one another by spending time with each other. That's what Paul said he wanted to do in the end when he gets there to Rome. He wants to spend time with them so that he could be refreshed. Paul desired to be with the church in Rome. He desired to spend time with them because he knew that would be good for him. He knew that would be good for them. Do we understand the benefit of being together? Think about it, not just outside of corporate worship, but do we understand the benefit of being here together like this? Being able to sit down with one another, to be able to say hi to each other and ask each other how their week went, to be able to remind each other that God is there to give you strength and encouragement. All of this is important. God designed the church the way he did so we can get the encouragement we need while we live in this world of sin. If you get to the point when you think that you don't need to be here or you don't need anyone, that is when you need to be here the most. And that's the danger that a lot of people fall in. They get to the point where they say, I don't really need to be here on Sunday morning. And then they get weak and then they fall away. And I've seen it many times. It's dangerous. You need to be refreshed, as Paul said. I need to be refreshed, as Paul said. You need to be reminded that you are part of the body of Christ, the family of God, and you have just as much importance 
and a role to play as anyone else here. If you think you're not important, you are. I remember back in, in Moncton when I worshipped there, there's this one lady, she was paralyzed on one side. She had a stroke, and so she was paralyzed on one side, and she contributed very little money in the, in the collection because she didn't have a lot to give. But the one thing that she did that encouraged everyone was she was there every Sunday and always smiling, no matter how bad life was for her, no matter how much she was suffering that morning, no matter how much the struggle was, living off of very little, she was always there, she was always smiling, and you can count on her being there. You could go in that building and look forward to seeing her, her smile, and that was encouraging. So you don't know the role that you play. If you come here to get something out of worship, you have to realize it's about what you put into it. It's about what you can do for others. It's your physical presence, what it means for someone else here. It can encourage someone. So we need to think about that. Every single one of you is important. Remember that. And so, what we see is sharing the work in Christianity. It should be the desire of all Christians to share what we can, when we can, whether it's material possessions, whether it's time, whether it's, most importantly, love. When God calls us to share, are we ready? Are you ready to share? Paul and the other apostles were ready for anything, even death if they had to, because they knew they were saved people of God, and so are you. You're a saved child of God. They were trying to save others. We need to be doing that too. They had confidence in the gospel. They had confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ, and so should you. So let's share in the work until he comes. Let's dance and sing our closing song in the morning.